Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Aryan, your host for this episode. And I'm Ishwarya. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our YouTube channel, the Desi Crime channel and subscribe. It's free. See, we're not even asking for your money. We have new videos out now. All the cases on our podcast that you loved and some that we haven't even covered, get ready to experience them in a whole new way. So, go subscribe to the Desi Crime YouTube channel. We'd like to thank our newest patron Monica Anand. Thank you for all the contributions you make in running this podcast. The best way to break a spell of awkward silence with your friends is to ask this simple question. What would you give up for a billion dollars? That's billion with a B. And this question takes many forms. Would you give up your arms or your legs or vision or your relationship and the toughest of them all? Would you give up your dog for a billion dollars? This is a simple rhetorical tool to instill thoughtful humorous banter with your buddies. But what happens when a rhetorical tool is no longer a game? What happens when this question becomes a very real dilemma in somebody's life? A princess in Dubai faced this dilemma, not posed to her by her friends, but by her very life circumstances. The question was, would you give up your freedom for a billion dollars? This is the story of Dubai's missing royal. This is the story of Princess Latifa. Our listeners get an extra story this week, don't they, Shwara? They absolutely do. This Wednesday, we released a YouTube exclusive case: the tragic life of Tramari Leonage. This is a story we haven't covered on our podcast before, and is available only on YouTube. So basically, you all asked for it, and we agreed. So Ashwarya is technically saying, if you want to listen to a brand new case, and more importantly, see our pretty faces, head to our YouTube channel, the Desi Crime Channel, <laughs> yeah. or hit the link in the show notes. Ashwarya, can you give the listeners a sneak peek sizzle of this case just to entice them? Aran, I best describe this case as one of those which completely question your moral compass. We live hmm. in, you know, regulated societies with laws, and we believe that those who commit crimes should be punished for the sake of, you know, sending a message to other criminals, for the sake of justice to the family of the victim, X, Y, Z. But this case mm -hmm. makes you question all of those assumptions that you have. It's the story of a woman who committed a crime, but in the end, you're kind of happy she did. That's the most yeah. I'm going to say. I'm going to let everyone go and watch the video mm. for themselves. Yeah. Uh, I I loved that episode so much. I loved being a part of yeah. it. And the jetpack joyride of emotions that I experienced um, uh -huh. as that episode uh, <laughs> went ahead. Uh, great episode. 
But, you know, despite releasing that episode, we have another episode for you this week. And this episode is a little different than the ones we usually cover. As interesting as the story I have for you today is, equally interesting is how we chose the story. Usually, Ashwara and I don't tell each other the cases we are about to cover, but sometimes out of excitement we might. Today's case is different. Not only did I tell Ashwarya which case I'm covering, we had a 30-minute call figuring out whether we could or should cover this case in the first place. This is the story of Princess Latifa, daughter of Dubai's ruler and UAE's Prime Minister, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, a man who, among many things, is also a billionaire. Yes, that's billionaire with a B. I've said this before on the podcast deliberately to add humor, the fact that I've lived in Dubai, but I mention that right now in earnest. I have lived in Dubai, and I know the state of free speech in that region. Uh, To say the least, it's not very free. And so I had to ask Ishwarya if it was wise to cover this case in the first place. You know, how my brain works is, if I sense the instinct to not cover a case, that's all the more a reason to cover it. And honestly, Aran, I think you did have valid reasons for asking me this question and for us to have this long conversation. UAE is a country that people visit often, not just for leisure, but also for work. And it's an incredibly common layover stop between India and a lot of countries. To be at odds with the authorities in the UAE, I think that's not optimal at all. And you'd agree. Definitely not optimal. But, you know, less optimal is fearing authority and then shutting up. That is true for authorities in Dubai as much as it is for authorities in Delhi or hell, even authorities in DC. And so here we are telling you her story, the story of Princess Latifa. Aran, you know I know nothing about this case. So who is she? Tell us the story. Who better to answer that question than the princess herself? Hello, my name is Latifa Al-Maktoum. I was born on December 5, 1985. my mom is Huria Ahmed Lamara. She's from Algeria. My father is the Prime Minister of UAE and uh, the ruler of Dubai, Mohammed bin Rashid Saeed Al Maktoum. He has uh, three daughters called Latifa. I'm the middle one. Uh, there's one older than me and one younger than me. And he has two daughters called Maryam also. Um, I have 30 brothers and sisters total. I had to say that uh, in case this video is discredited in any way that, no, you know, there is a Latifa there and a Latifa there. Yeah, there's three Latifas. I'm one of them. I'm the middle Latifa. Uh, my full sisters are Metha and Shamsa. They're both older than me. And Majid, he's younger than me. Um, and I'm making this video because it could be the last video I make. Quote, I am making this video because this could be the last video I make. End Jeez. quote. What is this video and why is it potentially the last video she is making? That statement said in perfect English with an Arabic accent would conjure the image of a helpless woman trapped in a bunker somewhere in Iraq pleading for help. Except this video wasn't shot in a bunker in a war-torn Iraqi town. It was shot in a nice apartment in Dubai, 
And this is no ordinary woman, both in terms of prestige and courage. In prestige because she is a princess, she is the princess of Dubai, a city in the United Arab Emirates, one of the wealthiest Middle Eastern nations. But she's not just from a wealthy nation, but arguably the wealthiest family of that nation. Her dad literally owns the country, not only because he has a staggering net worth of $15 billion, but also because he's the ruler of Dubai and the Prime Minister of UAE. Talk about being in the 0.0001%. That's her. But she is no ordinary woman in the sense of courage as well, because she is about to walk away from it all. On February 24th, 2018, Sheikha Latifa, as she is called in the native tongue, is about to walk away from the Bugattis, the billions, and the bourgeoisie for a commodity her father's money could never buy. Freedom. But before we get into her treacherous escape from Dubai to India on February 24, 2018, we need to understand why she decided to escape. And for that, let's turn our clocks back to December 5th, 1985, when baby Latifa was born. Sheikha Latifa was born into a typical sultanate family. If I start listing off the names of her many mothers and siblings and cousins, the entire episode could be just that. So I will stick to the ones pertinent to the story. She has three sisters, Shamza, Fatma and Mona. Although she was one of 30 siblings, that's 3-0-30, she was only close to Shamza, Fatma and Mona. We'll get to them in just a second, but back to Latifa's childhood. Latifa spent much of her early years being raised by her paternal aunt. She was never too close to either her biological mother or father. Her impeccable English is a result of studying at the Dubai English-speaking school. I am not describing the school, that is the literal name, (laughs) Dubai English Speaking School. (laughs) That's actually really funny and interesting to me. I think we associate schools like that in India with like remnants of colonization, but it's really interesting to see they exist all over the world. Please don't get me started on brown people's fascination with English. I have a love-hate relationship with this language, which I can rant about for hours. (laughs) Latifa then spent a year at the Latifa School for Girls. Of course, she had her name in the school. Followed by the International School of Shufei. She was a bright and very well-educated girl. And her interests ranged beyond academics. Signs of courage, by which I mean raw, bravado kind of courage, were visible in her from a young age. She had world champion skydiver Stefania Martinengo coach her to become a skydiver. We have uploaded pictures of Latifa skydiving and it's incredible how good she was. And her courage is contrasted by her innate caringness. She was an animal rights activist and a devout vegan. Now, Ashwara, I'll tell you what actual courage looks like. Actual courage is being a vegan in Dubai, which has some of the best non-vegetarian food I have (laughs) ever had. I bet. (laughs) But but jokes aside, you know, Sheikha Latifa grew up basking in the billions her father owned. Dubai is the epicenter of the world in many ways. It might be a small city, but its stature in the globe is best illustrated by one of its very own buildings, the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. In many ways, 
that is Dubai. It is the crown jewel marked by a building that stands tall at 163 floors. But therein lies one of the illusions this city has to offer. At 828 meters, the view of Dubai from Burj Khalifa's top offers a blurred expanse of a desert. But a sharp eye would notice that behind this mirage of prosperity and development is seething and systemic oppression. Oppression of migrant workers and oppression of women. And you're a victim of that oppression even if you're a daughter of the man who owns that land. Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. What better way to mark your territory than literally marking every square inch of your territory? If you go for a drive in Dubai, the Sheikh's portrait is plastered all over, from billboards to malls, he's everywhere. And yes, he is respected unconditionally. I remember when I was a kid and briefly living there, this white Mercedes G-Wagon sped past a Sashwara and the license plate just had the number one on it. My dad told me that was the Sheikh's car. And it was a pretty incredible moment in my life because A, I was a kid. Any famous person, pretty incredible thing for me. And B, if you live there, you only hear the Sheikh's praises. The Sheikh is a popular figure in Dubai and abroad. Once he realized Dubai will soon run out of oil, credit to him for completely transforming Dubai's image from an oil-producing region to a travel destination, a hotspot for commerce, entertainment and sports. And in order to do that, he had to become a larger-than-life character himself. You'll see pictures of him with the late Queen, with Trump, Biden, you name the foreign dignitary, he's there with them. And integral to cultivating that global hotspot image was an image of inclusion and liberty. If you want Americans and Europeans to come and live in your city, you better allow women to drive cars and not be forced to wear headscarves, unlike the neighboring countries. And so, Dubai did relax many of its laws and cultural requirements to be more hospitable to liberal Western sensibilities. But remember, there is a fine line between an image and a facade. And while the Sheikh might have made Dubai quote chill vibes for Instagram influencers, it's a very different story for the women in his family. Those chill vibes weren't afforded to many of his wives and daughters. Sheikh Latifa was one of them. It's interesting that you bring all of these points up, Aryan, because indeed, once you enter Dubai, it's probably one of the most gorgeous cities I've ever seen. It has cabs that are Rolls Royces. I've never ever in my life seen that. But on the inside, now I know as an adult, if I'm going to apply for a Dubai visa, for example, which I was a couple of years ago, I need a male guardian to sign off on my visa, even if I'm an adult. And that male guardian could be my brother who's younger than me. I don't know if that ruling's changed now or not. But it's that, it's the fact that if I go live in Dubai with my male partner, we can't share the same apartment. So these small things you you do continue to notice despite the facade that they put up, despite you going and having possibly the best shopping spree of your life there. These are the realities yeah. of that country. That's why the context was so important, because we have this image of Dubai, um, which again is an image, the fine line being it's a facade in many ways, because, you know, uh, it's still legal for men to physically abuse their wives as punishment. 
So th- those kind oh, wow. of laws still exist. It's it's yeah. Right. It's not they've not wiped the slate clean. They're, just because they're better than neighboring countries, you know, I'm not going to name them, but you know, we know which ones I'm talking yeah. about. Just because they're better does not make them good. So that's just something we need to keep in mind when you scroll through Instagram and you see all those champagne glass pictures with Lamborghinis mm-hmm, yeah. and models. Latifa details how while growing up the word freedom was a far cry. There were too many restrictions imposed on her and her older sister Shamza. She was only allowed to go to school and sometimes visit the horse stables her father owned, but nothing else. Latifa said they quote didn't have much freedom in Dubai. Freedom to do the things anybody in a civilized world would take for granted like driving a car or traveling or making choices for your future. Freedom of choice is not something we have. So when you have it, you take it for granted. And when you don't have it, it's very very special." End quote. In fact, Latifa only found out at the age of 10 that she had been raised all this while by her aunt. Latifa's wow. biological mother had given her up at 4 months old. So for 10 years she assumed the woman raising her was her actual mother. At 10 when this revelation was made to her and she was made to go back and live with her biological mother Latifa's life turned upside down not only was the life she had lived up to this point a lie in some sense she was scared of her actual biological mother in this period she formed a bond with Shamsa Latifa says that it was Shamsa who saved her in these troubled times These two girls were rebels, strong-minded and uncageable. They wanted freedom and so they resolved to go get it. In 2000, the family was on a holiday in England. Shamza was 18 at the time and Latifa was 14. They hatched a plan for Shamza to escape the control of her father. While in the UK, Shamza ran away. For 2 months she relished the freedom she had. Latifa was happy for her sister, but her happiness was juxtaposed both with sorrow because she missed her older sister who was a second mother to her and was also juxtaposed with worry. What if their father finds Shamza? Her worries came true. 2 months of freedom are all Shamza got to enjoy. While she was strolling the streets of UK, according to Latifa, several Emirati men pulled up to Shamza, surrounded her, and pushed her into a car while she was kicking and screaming for her life. They injected her with sedatives. Then they quote took her to a helicopter, which took her to a private jet, and then they flew her to Dubai. End quote. That was just the beginning of the torturous life that awaited this 18-year-old girl that just wanted to be. a normal 18 year old girl we've said this before on the podcast ashwara but that was the cost of freedom this is so unfortunate and i think by this point we've covered enough cases of abuse to see that people have absolutely no price on their freedom there is nothing that you can give to them uh, there yeah. is there is no yeah. familial bonding love money business empires that you can give to them that will make them give up their freedom and what awaited shamza was the farthest thing from freedom what awaited yeah. her were 8 years in prison torture solitary confinement 
medication, 24-7 monitoring. Forget freedom, humanity was a far cry at this point. When Shamza was caught, her family found out one of her other sisters, Mona, was in contact with her. Mona, too, was put in jail. And when Fatma, another one of their sisters, found out that Mona was in jail, she had a mental breakdown. Latifa describes Fatma as a rebellious child, and so to curtail her, the family had put her in a separate cabin locked away from the world. When Fatma found out about Mona and Shamza's imprisonment, she broke out of her cabin through the window and threatened oh everyone God. with a knife while shouting. She was medicated, and eventually, you guessed it, drum roll, she too was imprisoned. The few people Sheikha Latifa was close to were now gone as well. She was all alone in a giant palace. That was the breaking point. And Aran, when you say prison, you mean an actual public prison with bars and cells and other criminals or were they imprisoned in their home? So it's a middle ground between an actual prison and a house arrest. Mm -hmm. So it's not a house arrest, but it's within the sort of the king's property. So it's not a public prison, but it's sure. within the king's property. They, they have these private prisons they've set up. They, these rooms, essentially, that mimic Jeez. a prison, except it's not a public prison. So don't confuse it with you. a good old house arrest that, you know, we hear that they suck, but they're very different. You have access to, you, you can meet people. This is very prison-like, other than the fact that's a private prison, which in some ways makes it worse. Yeah, I was going to say that's even more sus that they have private prisons on their property. But Ashwara, that very thing was the breaking point. Drawing inspiration from her older sister's attempt, Princess Latifa decided she too had to escape this living hell. Not just for her own freedom, but she thought if she escaped, she could bring help for Shamza. And what's the worst case scenario, she thought. If she got caught, at least she would be put in jail with Shamza. That way, at least the two sisters could be together. The plan was to go to the Dubai-Oman border, walk into Oman, find a lawyer and get freedom. June 2002 is when this plan was executed. The only problem was Latifa didn't know how borders worked. It was 2002 and she was 16 years old. Latifa wasn't allowed to be on the internet and she had never travelled abroad. She didn't know how borders worked. In her own words, she assumed she'd reach a border, there would be some sand and she would walk right into the other country. Obviously, that's not how borders worked and Latifa's first escape attempt was foiled right at the border. And Aran... To me, at least in my mind, even if it was a successful border escape attempt, when you're the daughter of the man that rules Dubai, I feel like everyone, at least in the Middle <laughs> East, would know who she was. Like, who do you go to for help? Who can you trust? Yeah. It almost feels like nobody. Yeah, I agree. At 16, I don't think she had thought, thought it all the way through. It was just, she was just no, sick I and tired. No, I can imagine. That's a kid. That's a baby. But, but once they figured out who she was, she was brought back to Dubai. And this is what happened to her for the next four years and three months. No. Listen to Latifa's own voice. Uh, and yeah, they, they tortured me. 
um, I knew how long it was because I had a watch. And um, they told me that your father told us to beat you until we kill you. That's his orders, your father's orders. In October 2005, Latifa was released from prison and allowed to return to another prison, her home, the palace. The last few months of prison were rough. She was physically tortured. She only got thin sheets to cover her body in the cold room she was kept in. She only had a toothbrush to clean herself. She had to use Tide, the detergent, to clean her body. Half the time, she stayed dirty. And they didn't shy away from psychological torture, mind you. At random points in the night, the lights were switched off for long stretches. Since she was in a room with no windows, switching off lights meant long stretches in pitch black solitary confinement. Something that is usually a punishment for criminals who commit crimes while in prison. And even the worst of criminals, I hope no criminal has to go through this either. Solitary confinement to me is one of those scary, torturous scenarios that I... That too in pitch black conditions, like sensory deprivation, human deprivation, it's, it's torture. Absolutely. It would be redundant to point this out, but the Latifa that was sent to prison in 2002 was not the same Latifa that returned home in 2005. She had changed fundamentally. Trauma had changed her. In her own admission, Latifa states that she completely stopped trusting people. And these aren't the trust issues you have after a bad breakup. These are fundamental trust issues where you look at a human and you go, I don't trust human beings anymore. She found solace in animals, horses, cats and dogs and became an animal rights activist and eventually a vegan. But ever since she returned home, she was adamant to plot another escape. This time, a successful one. Her passport was taken away from her. She couldn't drive a car. There was an attendant with her 24-7 no matter where she went. Her drivers reported her whereabouts. She best describes her situation as living with a cage that moved around with her. She did develop new hobbies though. Skydiving, scuba diving and a keen interest in martial arts. It is through the latter that in 2010, she was introduced to a Finnish lady named Tina Jani Hannan, a fitness instructor hired to teach her a Brazilian martial art called capoeira. The two became friends and after decades Latifa found someone she could trust and through Tina Latifa found a way to materialize her ardent desire to escape. But she needed more than a friend to escape. She needed a spy. Latifa remembered reading a book back in the day titled Escape from Dubai and wanted to contact its author. In 2011, Latifa came in contact with Herve Joubert, part-time submarine businessman, part-time French spy. Yes, Joubert's character seems almost scripted. It seems like a low-budget French copy of James Bond. What in the name of God is a submarine businessman is my only question. I don't know. He designed submarines and he sold them. Funnily enough, he lived in Florida. So he's kind of the perfect Florida man. Yeah, this really extreme like cartoon caricature of a Florida man. (laughs) Follow your passion, I guess. But 
but in fact he is soon going to be pivotal in Latifa's escape Joubert is no joke he is French navy officer a marine engineer and DGSE secret agent DGSE being France's premier intelligence agency you might be wondering if Latifa was freed in 2005 why wait all these years until plotting your own escape the simple reason was Shamza Latifa did not want to leave Shamza alone whose condition was only going from bad to worse in 2008 Latifa briefly had a window to escape but around the same time Shamza refused to eat food if she wasn't allowed visitors for 8 whole years Shamza was devoid of outside communication doctors and nurses were all she saw Latifa didn't want to leave her older sister in this plight But things changed in 2017. Firstly, Shamza was found with multiple mobile phones. Her mother feared she would talk to journalists and tarnish her father's image, and so her monitoring was doubled down on. Now she had a full-time nurse following her even when she was asleep or in the bathroom. Latifa realized that her physical presence in Dubai is doing nothing to help her sister. If she wants to help her, she needs to get out and bring attention to this travesty. And in 2017, Latifa also lost a very close friend. Her friend's passing reminded the princess of life's finitude. Life comes and it goes, and you might as well do what you bloody well want to in the short time you have. So conviction turned to collaboration and a plan was in the works. Tina was going to be Latifa's aide and point person and Joubert was going to organize the transportation. How to get out of Dubai? That question had to be answered first and foremost. Despite Latifa's initial failed attempt, the Dubai Oman border is fairly easy to cross if you know what you're doing. It is a deserted stretch of desert after all. <laughs> no one can monitor the whole thing. All right, if she gets to Oman safe, what then? UAE, as you said, Ashwarya, has enough power to use Omani forces to their ends. She can't stay in Oman. Her goal is to get to America, but without a passport, she can't board a flight. Her next option is to apply for asylum in a country you and I know all too well, India. The plan was to sail from Oman to Goa, apply for asylum and try to get to US. Now, Joubert was responsible for the technicalities of the transport. He was a naval officer after all, thus Latifa trusted him with the seas. But she and Tina had to figure out a fail-safe mechanism. What if things went awry? What if they got caught? She didn't want the same fate as her older sister, perennially bound to a bed, medicated like a clockwork orange watching life pass by. So before her decided upon date of escape in 2018, Latifa contacted Radhika Sterling, founder of Detained in Dubai, a human rights watch based in UAE, and she shared her story with them. She entrusted Radhika to relay her life to reputable journalists if things went wrong. And to take matters in her own hands, Latifa also recorded an hour-long video testimony from Tina's Dubai apartment to be released if she got caught or killed. That is the video from which the two sound bites have been taken. No. Before you come to any judgment, Ishwarya, wait for the episode to unfold. 
the women discussed their plans over coffee at the Dubai Mall. Quote, we would find a corner, we would switch off our mobile phones, so we were taking all the precautions. It was a bit scary and we didn't want anyone to overhear the conversations or follow us, according to Tina. Jobert, meanwhile, met Tina at least six to seven times in the Philippines to train her for the upcoming mission. It was a mission after all. The plan was in place. 24th February 2018 arrived. It was go time. That day, Latifa met with Tina for a cup of coffee in downtown Dubai. Aware that she is constantly surveilled, Latifa went to the ladies' bathroom and came out in a different attire, a complete makeover. Once she was assured that she wasn't tracked, she got into the car with Tina and drove towards the Omani border. Two decades apart, the roads were smoother, but the sand dunes hadn't changed. Or at least they looked the same to Latifa, who had traversed this exact path 16 years ago to escape, but she didn't make it past the first checkpoint. Would she this time? A billboard with thank you for visiting Dubai flashed past the women as they cheerfully and nervously drove into Oman. Step one, done. Now, step two was to get onto a ship named Nostramo. The ship was registered in the US, manned by Joubert and three Filipino crew and was afloat in the international waters outside Oman. But how do you get from Oman's shores to Nostramo without getting caught? This required an intermediary step. Eshwara, to make this escape plan more suitable for a Hollywood adaptation, cue fitness trainers and jet skis. (laughs) <laughs> My two favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> Awaiting them on the shores of Oman was Tina's friend and fitness trainer, Chris Olambo. Chris was a well-built Frenchman awaiting his friend's arrival, bestowed with the job to row the two women out into the sea in a dinghy. A dinghy is like a small boat. He rode them to two jet skis parked in the deep sea and he then bid adieu. The women then rode the jet skis into deep waters and finally saw a large boat with Nostramo painted across it. After years of virtual correspondence, Latifa couldn't be happier to see Joubert. She made it. For now, she almost made it. Nostramo was en route to Goa. It would be nine days until they reach safe haven. On the boat, Latifa begins setting up her alibi. She needs to have a solid fail-safe mechanism. Remember, in case something goes wrong, she needs the blame to fall on her father. Else she feared he would disappear her into thin air and no one would even realize. So she put out an Instagram post. It is a gut-wrenching post. Although it's now deleted, we were able to find archives and have uploaded it to our Instagram at Desi Crime. Eshwarya, can you read this for us? Yes, so it's the quintessential notes from the iPhone Notes app. And it reads, Dear friends and family, This is a hard message to write, but I'm writing it because my life is currently in danger. I have escaped UAE after being trapped for 18 years, unable to leave. In 2000, my sister Shamza ran away while on holiday in England. She was 18. 
My father's men captured her and brought her back to Dubai. She was tortured and imprisoned for eight years, and the story of her escape was told to the media. In 2002, I decided to escape to try to get my sister help. I was 16. They captured me immediately and imprisoned and tortured me for three years and four months. My father ordered his men to quote beat me until they kill me end quote. I was in very bad condition and I couldn't even walk because of the constant beatings and they offered me no medical help. So after 18 years of living with this nightmare, I finally left. They didn't allow me to travel or have any freedom of choice at all. I had to take it for myself. That last line Ashwarya, they didn't allow me to travel or have any freedom of choice at all. I had to take it for myself. That that final line at this moment in Latifa's life she is somewhere in the Indian Ocean possibly in the Arabian Sea just wanting to step onto Indian soil and reclaim that very freedom. 8 days had passed since Tina and Latifa had embarked on this voyage this literal seafaring voyage. On the 4th of March 2018 Goa was in their grasp. They were merely 50 miles away from land. But Joubert noticed something weird on the radar. There were two boats tailing the Nostromo at five knots. That is a rather eerie and slow pace. Then there was an airplane overhead that kept passing, originating from Mumbai. Turns out these weren't two boats. They were two Coast Guard vessels. Joubert, in the hazy nighttime, caught a glimpse of the sides of one of these boats. It read, "Indian Coast Guard." Then commotion ensued: noises, footsteps, thuds, gunshots. Princess Latifa was hiding in the deck of the boat and was able to send one final voice note to Radhika Sterling: "Quote, Radha, please help me. There are men outside." No. End quote. Did Latifa make it to Goa? What is the Indian Coast Guard doing with two ships and an airplane for a small boat? Is Princess Latifa safe? Healthy? Is Princess Latifa alive? Find out in the next episode of the Desi Crime Podcast.